podcast episode 40, a sequel chat movie review of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Warning, Sequel Chat is a movie lover's podcast featuring discussions of the latest cinematic sequels in theaters now. These weekend of release reviews are spoiler-filled and highly flammable, so please use caution when listening. You have been warned. All right, a-holes, looks like we're back for another podcast. That's right, Sequel Chat is here, weekend of release review of a film highly anticipated, very exciting for all moviegoers everywhere. The summer season has officially kicked off, I feel, with Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. So we are here, your usual sequel chat crew, Colton, Jeremy, I'm Adam, and we are getting into this film. I mean, this is something, like I said, that I I feel like a surprise that came out of nowhere in 2014. We weren't even a podcast back then or else we would have covered it, (laughs) or maybe we wouldn't have, because who knew that this was going to be so popular? I mean, how did you guys feel when the original one was coming out? Did you anticipate it? Was it something where you said, oh, this could be good? Or was it just like, eh, it's a Marvel movie, so I'll see it? Um, Number one, I was like, this is so different and so risky for them. I want to see it. And number two is I wanted to see Kevin Feige's Revenge because that's a secret story not a lot of people know about. He wanted to do Guardians as a way of thumbing his nose at Disney because they wouldn't let him be involved after they bought Lucasfilm. He's like, hey, I want to help out with Star Wars. And they're like, no, you focus on Marvel. And so he picked Guardians huh. of the Galaxy as a property to be like, see, I can, wow. handle, I can handle space operas. I'm doing a thumb on the nose right now. Thing. But yeah, <laughs> you can't see it, but I'm doing it. But uh, yeah, so I was interested on those two fronts and I ended up being very pleasantly surprised. Disney slash Marvel kind of just gave him free reign to do whatever he wanted, pick his iteration of the Guardians and have his way with the cosmic because it was almost nothing of consequence could come from it, really. I mean, I'm sure they gave him little bits, little points that he had to hit, but it wasn't like, here's the majority of your story arc that you have to fit your story around. It's, well, we need this to happen and that to happen, and we need a cameo here by this character. So, I don't know. I was pleasantly surprised by it, and I'm sure we're all going to get deep into this here Mm -hmm. shortly. Yeah, we will. And we're going to get into this. I'll, I'll just mention that when it when it was coming out, I was in Guardians of the Galaxy. Now, it it has a long history that that title and the comics and many iterations, many formations of the team. But I just want to say that the Guardians of the Galaxy to me was the 90s version by Jim Valentino, which basically starred this guy, Vance Astro, who ended up calling himself Major Victory because he was from the future and he found Captain America's shield. Right. So so that that was the Guardians 3000, correct? Yeah, I think they recently released a a series that was called that. But this was just Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah, set in the 30th century. So that was what I knew about it. I had caught wind of this Abnett and Lanning version, which is what Incarnation, their reboot of the Guardians of the Galaxy, was based on. And I really like some comics that they had written in the 90s as well. So I was like, all right, well, they're probably doing a good job here. But I've never been into cosmic Marvel. Silver Surfer and Thanos and Captain Marvel 
Marvel and all those guys, I really didn't care. So when this was coming out, I was like, eh, I'll go see it. I saw it and I hated it. I said, because it was so different because they shook up the formula for Marvel movies so much. I really walked out there. Everybody I went with, it was a double date. You know, my wife, she hates every Marvel movie. She's like, oh, that could have been 30 minutes shorter. I don't like that they're fighting so much. Da, da, da. But this one, because it's so lighthearted, she's just like, I love this movie. This is fantastic. And so it's the one that she, like, she went out and bought on Blu-ray right away so that we could watch it over and over again. So I have come around to it over the last couple of years of just watching it so often. But like initially it was not my cup of tea at all. I feel like the soundtrack is like another character in the movie, you know, Yeah. Like the way it takes part in the plot and everything. I just, yeah, I found myself dancing to that, uh, that five step song. Ooh, cha. <laughs> well, and I really like the cherry bomb by the runaways when that yeah, came in nice. for the big bite seed at the end. You know, like that was pretty fun. And like, that was to say like it, it had like such a quirky and it's weird coming from me. Cause I like weird quirky films, but this one, I just didn't expect it. Even from the trailers, I thought, well, those are probably the only jokes in the movie. And then it's really cool. You know, like I just totally misread it the whole time. Now, have you, have you guys gone back and watched this film a lot? then leading up to volume two i wouldn't say a lot i would say that i've watched it two or three times since then and of course you you kind of catch it every once in a while whenever it's on or when you're walking well, and i can't store believe and it's been around it so long yeah like it's it's been i can't believe it's been 2014 was when it two, came two out two and a half years now yeah it yeah. doesn't seem that long ago to me at all so that's amazing so you're saying it plays on tv and stuff is that what you're saying well like tvs at walmart or something oh okay yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I do most of my television watching yeah. at walmart these it, days it, best well Buy. i mean if we're walking through. In, in order to get a better feel for the character arc I, I mean i originally saw it midnight showing when it first came out in theaters and then i caught it later on home video and then literally the day before volume two came out i saw it for the third time so that when i could go into volume two with a fresh feel for the characters and what their progress would be uh, apparently this film uh, picks up two months after the original Yes. Okay, I was wondering about that, how long it had been. It's only two months. That's crazy. Right. It's, it's so, my understanding that they're going to be very different, and they're going to wear different uniforms when they're in Infinity War. So they needed to have a very minimal time change for this one, and then have the big jump forward to 2017, or 2018 for Infinity yeah, War. Yeah, because uh, James Gunn was saying, yeah, he needed to tie up the loose ends he left on the last one, and rather than leaving it for four years or three years until that happened, he needed to set it pretty much back-to-back, which it's different from what Marvel usually does, which unofficially sets the movie at the date of release. Mm-hmm. So, okay. Yeah, Civil War, they make it very clear. It's It's been eight years since Tony Stark said that he was Iron yeah. Man. And I'm like, it's been eight years in real life? So, so they allude to it that all this yeah. is happening in quote-unquote real time. Mm-hmm. But being the Guardians that they're way off on the cosmic side, there's no pressure that they need to connect up with anything up until Infinity. So Gunn had the flexibility to set this only a couple months after, so they've been a team, and it allowed the father 
thing to play out in this movie and also for all sorts of fun. Well, Jeremy, yeah, why don't you give us the, a plot summary here so we kind of have a basic overview of what we're going to be talking about and then maybe we can get into the characters because knowing that now, knowing the time frame, which I was not aware of, I, it, I really have some commentary on the characterizations uh, as a result. So. Okay. As for that time frame, the theory of relativity just covers everything. So. Right. <laughs> it, it, it'll, it'll all work out. All right. So the year is 2014. When last we saw our Bad News Bears-esque crew of cast-offs, known now far and wide as the Guardians of the Galaxy, they had grabbed hold of the Power Stone, one of the six Infinity Stones, and defeated Ronin, saving Xandar, the Nova Corps, and, well, the Galaxy. Peter Quill, a.k.a. Star-Lord, had learned that his father is quite ancient and the identity is still unknown. Now, in Volume 2, we join the Guardians about two months later at the home of the Sovereign Race, on the job protecting their planetary power source from an interdimensional creature. After defeating the creature, the crew receive as payment Nebula, Gamora's twisted cyborg sister, and plan to turn her in and receive the bounty on her head. On the way out, though, Rocket steals some of the Sovereign's batteries, and the Guardians barely escape with their lives, crashing down on a planet. While stranded, their mysterious savior turns up and breaks the news that he is Quill's father, Ego the Living Planet. Ego takes Drax, Gamora, and Quill with him to the home world, while Nebula, Rocket, and Baby Groot stay behind to fix the ship. A mutiny is brewing amongst the Ravagers, Yondu's crew, at the home of a Ravager bar over his continued soft heart towards Quill and the Guardians. Here we are introduced to Stakar, a.k.a. Starhawk, as played by Sylvester Stallone, and Martin X, as played by Michael Rosenbaum. These two are heads of a main faction of Ravagers, from long ago it seems, whom Yondu used to work closely with, but has fallen out of favor with, before Quill's father asked him to abduct him from Earth. The Sovereigns seek out Yondu and his Ravagers to bring the Guardians to them to be killed for their crimes. The Ravagers manage to capture Rocket and Groot after a freed Nebula takes down Yondu's fin. Nebula takes her reward, a ship, and seeks out Gamora to kill her. Hijinks and action ensue aboard the Ravager ship where many, many, many of them die. Yondu, Rocket, and Baby Groot escape and head towards Ego for the final confrontation. On Ego, we learn from him of his voyages to many planets and how he fell for Peter's mother. Breadcrumbs are left throughout the story of a more sinister motive, but are glossed over at the time. Star-Lord gets some one-on-one -on -one time with his biological father and learns of his true calling and powers at its core. Basically, he's a lowercase g, god, and immortal. While there, Gamora senses something is amiss and seeks out the answer. Nebula crash lands and we get some development in her and Gamora's character. Drax is being Drax, but this time to Ego's personal assistant, Mantis. When confronted, she finally explains the evil plans Ego has set in motion. Star-Lord finds out that the brain cancer that killed his mother was planted by Ego, and that breaks his trance and attempts to kill his own father. Unable to do so alone, the Guardians, including... Yondu, Rocket, and Groot arrive just in the nick of time. Battles rage on down to Ego's planetary core. Many memorable moments happen at the core. The Sovereign return and lose again. But in the end, our Guardians are able to plant the bomb and finish off Ego at the cost of Star-Lord's immortality. He is but a man now. 
Many cameos and seeds are planted for the future of Marvel beyond Infinity War and, of course, the untitled fourth Avengers film, including Howard the Duck's return, Cosmo. The Grandmaster even makes a brief appearance. Look for him in the credits. And the original Guardians from the comics. And, of course, we have our Stan Lee cameo, reporting to none other than The Watchers which we learned that Fox and Marvel both share the rights to. And so much more. Anyway, let's get into this, guys. Character <laughs> development. Adam, you said you have some bones to pick with this. I do. And I don't want to start off negative because I'll just say before I get into that, that seeing the watchers in this film was my single favorite moment. <laughs> I was so excited by that. I was like, Uatu's here. Wait, there's three watchers? Oh, there's. It's, uh, he's just talking to everybody. Stan Lee telling his stories to them but what i realized when i saw the watchers in this is if they go back and pull a george lucas and they re-release you know all the marvel films in a special box set you know five years from now they need to go in and put in little watchers in different scenes like in every marvel film so the watchers are always there that would make me so no, happy no, hold you know? on that's <laughs> We already have that. He's Stan Lee. Uh, so is that supposed to, you think he's one of the watchers? That's and he's been a just big got a fan theory outfit? for a long yeah, time that's, now. Yeah, that's been a fan theory. Oh, I never Kevin, even heard that. Kevin Feige even addressed that recently when he was asked. I was told this cameo was a way of winking at that rumor. Right. Oh, because very interesting. he's regaling them of his tales. Yeah, that's another thing is the audience laughed so hard and were in just such awe of this cameo scene with the watchers. I couldn't hear what Stanley said. Did you guys catch what he said? Well, it was he was telling them about when he was a FedEx worker and delivered yeah. the package ah. to Tony. Nice. <laughs> Tony Stank. Tony, Tony Stank. That's not <laughs> yeah. going away, by the way. Oh, Table for two, Mr. Great. Stank, by the bathroom. Even Sorry. in Universal, in Universal conversations, he still has to bring it up. That was one of my best. I love that joke. And it's safe All to right. say that Uatu was there in that group. Watu's never Had separated from them, or we don't know. Okay, All right. maybe Stanley is Watu. I, 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 I ask because <laughs> I'm not sure. The mutants and the cosmos are my weak spot in the Marvel universe. Right. I mean, I know plenty about both, but not enough to. There's still plenty to leave me in the dark. So I've wondered. If, but well, you know, and, and again, just st staying on the train of things I liked, and then mm -hmm. I'll get into my comments here. <laughs> is the opening the opening credits of this film everything you would expect? And Baby Groot, I was so worried because I felt like since, you know, the end of the last film, everybody's Baby Groot. Oh, he's the best. He's so cute. There was so much Baby Groot merchandise. And I was just like, oh, is this going to be like a ridiculous cutesy thing that we have to see throughout the film? But he immediately won me over. The animators with Baby Groot have done such an amazing job of making him literally the cutest thing I've ever seen on screen. <laughs> and I was just won over. He warmed my heart from those first you know, five love, minutes. I love they continued that running joke of him freezing every time Drax looks in his direction so he doesn't <laughs> right. keep dancing. And well, throughout the film, isn't he always beating on Drax? Like he, It always seems like he's trying to fight Drax, too. Yeah, like, he's always beating on him because he, he feels like Drax is picking on him. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> but I also love the fact that it was essentially like pass the baby around, like the whole show. Yeah. Like even that first battle, you get a lot of it. Granted, it's it's very baby Groot heavy, but it's he just looks at Gamora and he's just like hi, and she's like yeah. hi, and That's then so da -da 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 -da. yeah, and just <laughs> so it, real. Yeah, it was just so funny, and yeah, keep going, Adam. 
because I, okay. w- I want to hear your grievances. Yeah. So anyway, so that was wonderful. And I was like, my, my baby Groot, I'm on board for the whole film. Give me as much as you want. And they did. And he was great. But the question I have that knowing this is two months later, Gamora and Drax have completely changed their characters. If they've lightened up that much in two months of exposure to Peter Quill, he must have some mutant power also where he could just <laughs> rearrange people's minds because it, it was just Drax. He, he's so different in the first film. He was the butt of the joke. Oh, he takes everything literally. Oh, he's so you know out of control and crazy. But in this film, he's actually trying to be humorous. You know, he's, he's actively making jokes constantly and picking on people and laughing about it and having so much fun. He's just a completely different character, I feel like, in this movie because he's mostly humorous, whereas before he was mostly intense and clueless. And we laughed at that. And same with Gamora. She, she's just like she seems to have relaxed now that she's not under you know the thumb of thanos i guess she's just she seems more more at ease and like a real person not just a soulless killing machine like she was but wouldn't you also i mean you get out from the thumb of thanos and you've saved the galaxy and now remember everybody in this film they regard the name of the guardians of the galaxy with at least a little bit of trepidation well a little bit of reverence yeah yeah if they're even if you're not afraid of them they at least are are like they're aware yeah. yeah. So I feel like that type of reverence that he mentioned might change people's demeanor a little bit. Like they're like, oh, I've got a little bit of responsibility. That might change the way I walk. And what you said about Drax, <laughs> that's true. But I still feel like his character is being true to himself because he still has that dry, blunt, awkward delivery on everything. You know, that's true. Yeah. Well, and I have and famously granted, huge yeah. turds. <laughs> like, I'm just like, what? <laughs> Come on now, Drax. Is that? You want to be remembered All right, for that? You put him around Rocket and Quill. Like those two are going to wear on you. And with if you're twenty four seven with those two, you're going to change your uh, your approach to people a little bit. I guess so. Yeah. And I guess at the very least, he killed. You know, he participated in killing Ronan, so that's a weight off his shoulders. So maybe he's able to lighten up a little bit that way now that he has a family, whereas before he was mourning the loss of his family. So yeah, I guess I could see where that where that works. You know, can be explained that way. But it was just a little bit of a shock to me because I was just like, oh, he's jokey joke now. All right, I see what's going uh, on. On some of these occasions, though. Yeah, it seems like it's jokey joke to us, but I'm not sure he realizes that what like the what you mentioned about the I have infamously huge turds. I don't think he realizes how humorous that is. I think he just thinks he's bragging in a completely normal way, and that's <laughs> right. not normal to us. So I, I don't know. It's I think a lot of those things could be up for interpretation. Well, we I go. mean, granted, in a way, it's like teeing up your buddy for yeah. yeah, teeing up your buddy that isn't very humorous with a joke that it's going to be humorous no matter what he says because he is the butt of the joke. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then obviously on the flip side, it feels like Star Lord, Rocket, and Yondu haven't changed at all. Like that, there's supposed to be some growth happening in this film, but ultimately, I feel like they pretty much stay the same throughout. Uh, I mean, except for the very last moment of the film with Rocket, which maybe we'll see something in volume three about that. But I don't think we would want them to change. I think those are the three characters we absolutely want to stay the same because they're the attitude that is Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Kind of that 
just like rebellious, crazy, foul-mouthed, you know, you know, space pirate in one case, and then just space slackers in the other, you know, space con men, whatever you want to call them. But how did you guys feel? Did you guys have a favorite character throughout that, that, that just stuck with you? And you say, you know what, this is the one. If this movie was just about them, I'd be happy. As many people would say, Marvel has had a villain problem. And honestly, I was really impressed by their choice of villain this time. Well, not just the choice itself, but how they chose to develop him. You know, because it's not always 100% exactly what's in the comics. But Ego the Living Planet uh, usually makes people's lists for weirdest Marvel character. At least yeah. the top 10. And so I was tugging my collar thinking, well, how are they going to pull this off? And honestly, I didn't even expect them to have him be all that villainous. I thought they were going to... Because you know, I understand how the Collector's kind of a villain, but in the last film, he really wasn't all that... Yeah, in, right. You know, I was I thought maybe Ego would be on that plane at worst. Boy, he chilled me to the bone. <laughs> I mean, I remember... I was in the big old IMAX theater, and when he came right out and just so dispassionately said... Oh, I totally regret having to put that tumor in your mother's head. And the whole audience just gasped. I mean, in this day and age, it, it takes a lot to shock the modern audience. And yes. he, he got to me, he got to everybody. We were like, oh, no, you didn't. I always had a theory of her cancer may have been a side effect of her being with the alien. I always theorized Agreed. that. I had, but I had, I never, it never even let it pass my mind that it was done on Although, purpose. let me and say he this. Revealed he he did said purpose, that. Oh. Why? Why did he have to do it, though? He did not explain, and maybe you guys understood something I didn't, but he said that. Obviously, Quill's mad at him. But I was just thinking in my head, wait, why did he need to kill her? There was no reason. It, it, it revealed two things to me. Right. Okay. Um, early, remember how earlier in his spiel, he's like, life. Life is just so unimportant. Life is just so boring. So that's the first part. And I feel like he probably didn't explain it well enough, but the gist that I got was he did not like his attachment that he was building to her. He mm. was above all of this humanity and life and all this stuff. And the fact that he felt significantly stronger feelings for her than he was supposed to because of his lowercase godhood. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it, it was his way of severing that tie by, well, I guess my only solution is to kill her because I don't want to lower myself to be one of these beings. Mm. Agreed. And it's totally, it's totally that fact because he did say to Peter... Uh, when Peter asked him, why did you never come back? He said, well, I came to Earth three times, and if I came a fourth time, I would have never left. Yeah, okay. I, so, I could see that then, yeah. Which is why he sent Yondu to go pick him up. I'm glad they Granted, covered that, because I thought that was a big loophole of, why didn't he just go get him himself? I was waiting for the film, and I had a checklist of all these things I wanted answered, and they got them all. <laughs> yeah, that, that wasn't the plot hole that really irked some people. The, the big plot hole was what Ego did did to earth his gigantic cgi glob and attacking missouri um, that is the worst plant since the attack of the killer tomatoes right <laughs> this is 2014 this is there was no avengers response i was, I was waiting for that and i was kind of disappointed that they granted didn't, they didn't at least send um well, i was gonna say falcon but considering the circumstance <laughs> right it's 2014. 2014 civil war hasn't happened yet exactly they could have sent falcon Right. Okay, never mind. I withdraw. I well, think now, this the, was, the, this the, was they post only showed Ultron, the one. wasn't it? If it was 2014, then it was a few months before Ultron. Oh, so it was right before May Ultron. May of 2015 is when yeah. Ultron happened. So they were hunting down Hydra at this point. So they probably wouldn't have had a quick response to it anyway. Okay, that makes but sense. But there was also a cut scene that's been heavily reported of a Wonder Man appearance. Oh, really? Yes. <laughs> and that was going to be Nathan uh. Fillion. 
Okay, wow. Yes, I did hear about that. Okay. Because he'd shot some photography for posters. Because in one of the scenes, you do see a movie theater getting eaten. I did see stills from that. And there was supposed to be a uh, a more close-up scene on that where they show... It's like pretty much Nathan Fillion is trying to act like Tony Stark in like a Steve Jobs-esque movie. <laughs> and so wow. it's, it's all these movie posters with his face on them. Well, yeah, right. so they did cut it, which still leaves him open for a character within the Marvel Universe... And maybe they'll bring Wonder Man back at some point. Maybe so. No, but getting back to Kurt Russell real quick, I, I, you know, the one thing I wanted to say about him is, uh, obviously he had his turn at the end. Throughout most of the film, it felt like he was trying too hard to be like cool dad. You know, I'm laid back alien planet dude. I'm just like Peter Quill. You know, we're we're peas in a pod. Admit it that it cracked you up though when they were playing cats like father and son. Oh, oh yeah, I mean that was so goofy. I mean that that I intentionally that was, so honestly. that was such a James Gunn thing to do. <laughs> well, it was a Field of Dreams moment. Yeah. I mean he he always wanted to play catch with his dad, and so he did. Praise to the you know the the CGI artists here. I felt like it's amazing again the de aging on Kurt Russell at the beginning mm-hmm. of the film. Better, you know, I I thought in ant-man that michael douglas looked pretty fantastic but this was like 10 steps Mm. beyond that it really did look natural the only difference he obviously had the filled out old man face like size of his head kirk douglas you know used to be a lot slimmer the face you know in the 70s and 80s you know so but so you could notice that it was okay it's motion capture on old kirk douglas but the actual skin texture was pretty amazing i was like they are did you say kirk douglas no, uh, Kurt Russell. Sorry, my bad. <laughs> Kurt Douglas also fantastic, but not who we're talking about. Again, the Michael it's Douglas. Amazing. He's still alive. alive. Yeah. <laughs> you could use some of that CGI yeah. uh, update on him. Anyway, um, but also the the whole concept. I don't know if you guys thought this as well uh, when when basically they found their creative way of distracting an audience from a lot of expositional dialogue when they're walking through the, you know, the ego chapel, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And so, yeah, just the little sculptures that are constantly being reshaped and molded very much like man of steel for me and the whole Kryptonian, you know, backstory. I was like, okay, they've updated it to porcelain milky sculptures (laughs) or something, but, but I was just like, I did catch the field of dreams metaphor. You know, if you build it, he will come. Yes. (laughs) Now, uh, let's let's talk a little bit about Stallone's cameo. We can't leave that out here. You know, coming in, I mean, cameo, maybe more than that, I guess, if you were to look at it. Uh, what did you guys think about that? When they just show up, they're on this neon <laughs> pleasure planet with pleasure companion bots or whatever. And the Ravagers are just having a good time. And then Until all you've sudden, had duck, you're out of luck. Oh, that was... <laughs> That was inappropriate. I was just yeah. like, Seth I Green. wanted to see Howard again, but why did we have to use your <laughs> F-bomb like that? Just a throwaway line. I was just like, oh. Oh, no, no, no. He didn't use it there. No, he no, I, no. No. He said, you're out of luck until you've had the duck. Oh, I, I could have swore you yeah, said no, until you no, F the duck. No. Marvel okay. isn't the type of studio no. that goes for that. Outside of maybe the Punisher. <laughs> That's why it shocked me. I was like, James right. Gunn's and, getting away with a lot of and this. And even, even if they had used, they're not going to use that. 
<laughs> not that language. <laughs> and if they were, they wouldn't have used it in that connotation either. It wouldn't seem like they would. Yeah. That's why it caught me so off guard. I was just like, because he was saying it so fast. That that's yeah, he said it like. pretty quick, and he said it with a little bit of a slurred accent. So, I, yeah. yeah, Seth okay, Green it. slurred accents. Stallone, what did you guys think? Yeah, yeah. I was fine we're, with it. I It was a good introduction. The post credit scene set up the future of Guardians, really. Because a lot of those characters were part of earlier iterations of Guardians, it, right? It, they were the original Guardians, yeah. including okay. the better. including the Miley Cyrus cameo. Yeah, I was looking. I didn't recognize the main voice of mainframe. Yeah. She was the voice the computer. of the computer. I see. Okay. All right. Yeah, yeah. mainframe. Um, yeah, the, the, a lot of those characters are outside of my pay grade, but I was, it was cool to see because, you know, Sylvester Stallone, one of the best known actors of the past 50 years being in a Marvel film. I was excited. It was only like, what, two, three scenes? Yeah, not much. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel like I'm the negative guy out sure. this. Because yeah. I, I, I would like to see uh, Starhawk again. See, I, I'm the opposite. I really did not care for his performance and I think it also has a lot to do with, I think that scene was just very poorly written, but like, it was just like Yondu walks downstairs, all of a sudden sees Stallone. They start yelling at each other. Oh, you'll, you'll never get a ravager funeral. Blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I, I had no idea what their conflict was because they're just immediately angry at each other yelling and then it's done. And so, and then, then she says this line about ravagers don't deal in kids. And that was another thing. I'm like, are they going inappropriate again? Because they're on this neon pleasure planet. So I thought Yondu no, was no, being no, called no, up no. for some yeah, inappropriate I, I, behavior. I, I, I and I'm like, what we, is this I knew movie? we were being teased with a bad backstory that would have a payoff later so i was looking for the payoff and yeah the payoff was that he got in trouble because he for a lot of money worked for ego and went to go pick up ego's kids and which was uh, the real shock for me that was the that underground room that but it was like you're not the only kid i had i just made you know i made kids with everybody throughout the universe you're just the only one that worked and that's the the only time i saw the little dioramas i wondered did, did Star Lord's mom was she the only mom? No, no, that's too no. dark. This is Disney Kurt Russell. They're not going to go that dark. Boy, did they! Yeah. They went that dark. You know, I was a fan of Stallone in this movie. It was probably really? his best enunciated role that I've seen him in in a while. <laughs> you want to break uh, me down, Yondu? You want to hear me say it? I'm scared. You're giving a guy that already has a speech impediment having words and phrases that don't roll off the tongue mm-hmm. like he's having to talk about his sister Aletta and the Olgard and the the Ravagers funerals and the flames over whatever it just it was a complex situation there and he did well now as for what he'll do down the road I don't know like we won't... I really hope it's not a spin-off film. I absolutely no, hope they no, don't no, go no, no, original I, guardians. I yeah. don't think they're going to go original guardians, but I think what's going to happen and we're deep into spoiler territory <laughs> if, if you haven't figured this out already based on the <laughs> You should the have synopsis. had a disclaimer at the beginning. We already blew the ending, so I'll, yeah. <laughs> I'll put one in later. Adam Warlock is being created by the Sovereign Race in order yes. to hunt down and kill the Guardians. Even which, I know who he is. He's a big deal. Yeah. He won't show up and it's been stated he will not show up until Guardians 3. After Infinity really? War. After and Infinity War. War and Avengers 4. So this is an isolated issue that will take place and he'll be the antagonist for the Guardians in Guardians Volume 3. And so I'm betting it's going to take the Guardians and the old Guardians, which are the Ravagers, to team up 
in order to take him down or convert him over and he'll be part of the Guardians. So that's kind of what they're setting up. Well, now, and I will say this, the Sovereign, the Sovereign character design, I know it seems simple, just put people in gold body paint, but I thought it actually looked really cool, but when that happened, like, I had no, even when the cut scene was happening, I was like, what's this leading to, what's she talking about, and I was like, then I saw it, I would call him Adam, I was like, Adam Warlock? He's orange. He's not gold. Like in the comics, he's always printed with orange. You know, it's not like they could put gold ink on the the page. So in my mind, Adam Warlock is an orange character, not a gold character. Right. So so it just for some reason I was it was not even in the realm of possibilities in my brain until she said that, and I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Now I, anyway. I'm sure you loved this, Adam, but when the Sovereign went after the Guardians with their spaceships and their video games that they were playing. Yes, the 80s video game the 80s sound video effects. video game music. <laughs> that was pretty funny. Like, I, I thought it was really, it was a cool concept to do. Like, it was obviously, okay, we're we're picking a video game motif, but I think it, it makes more sense too, right? Well, and, you can and build even another so ship. much 80s flavor in this movie. Oh, that, over the top. A little bit of Hasselhoff a, and... The Last Starfighter oh, is what I kind of got a vibe right, on when they were playing. That too. Yeah. And so it just that whole 80s arcade feel when the last guy's going after the guardians and then when he blows up everybody's like you suck. <laughs> it's it's like, such an arcade thing to say. Exactly. So yeah, everybody's yeah. watching waiting and for the when moment. They no, had I... that big epic battle when they're taking on rocks on themselves to make themselves oh, bigger and stronger. Right. Star-Lord becomes Pac-Man. I <laughs> mean, he set it up. <laughs> the theater <laughs> lost it. It was so awesome. Which they shelled out some serious dinero oh, in order yeah. to get that and all the original arcade noise and everything. So And they were lucky to get that after what Adam Sandler did with it too. <laughs> That's what I was just going to say. I was going to like, "Really? Was Namco willing to share that after pixels uh, okay they did it again but uh, but i guess that's the redemption of pac-man through yeah. galaxy <laughs> guardians of the galaxy but now did you guys th- there's a lot of storylines in this film like everybody is really given their moments sometimes i think it's not constructed inc- incredibly well it's just gonna be like okay now let's cut to gamora for some reason wandering around and now Nebula is trying to kill her and now they're going to resolve their issues and be sisters sort of the sister Uh, equivalent of a bromance, you know, exactly. But I, that was actually my favorite storyline was the whole Gamora Nebula thing, because I felt like Nebula again in the last film, just, I'm just here to kill you. You're my sister and I hate you. you. That was the number one line people used to describe Nebula. She was just a throwaway character. And this time she was more than they really developed her so well in the, Right. She was very one-sided in the first. And this one, we actually got to see that dynamic between them and why she's a cyborg. And so, I mean, you get that whole Gamora was fighting day in, day out just to live another day. And it didn't matter if that was her sister or not. She was defending herself to live another day. And so Nebula was losing every day. And so she'd break and Thanos would go and add cybernetic parts to make her stronger and better so like that she he could defeat took her parts sister. parts out of her to put in the cybernetic yeah. parts, right? Yeah. Took out her brain and yeah, all sorts of stuff. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they actually developed them. Maybe to the point ne- to where Nebula can find a place on the Guardians? I'm sure it's leading to that eventually, or at least she's always do, that do unwilling ally. Do you know if she's going to be in but... Infinity War? Yeah, she is. Okay, 
Yeah, then there's hope there. Right. So, if, I mean, there's... If they're going all the way to Earth, she's got to be well, in the vicinity. There's you know? also Thanos involved, and mm-hmm. her main goal right now is to kill him. Yeah. So, she's yeah. going to be involved, and more than likely, she'll align herself with the Guardians. And there was a storyline, depends on which Infinity Gauntlet you read, where she's the one that steals the glove from Thanos, the Gauntlet. So, nice. I'm sure they'll tease or build up to something of that sort. Yeah, I was a little—I was a little sad that there wasn't anything directly pointing to Infinity War. Yeah, we've still got considering other... it was four years ago, or will have been four years <laughs> okay. ago by the time Infinity War gets there. Oh yeah, that too, I guess. <laughs> I was thinking, five post-credit scenes. I was like, isn't there going to be something pointing? There was supposed there? to be six. Oh really? Wow. Yeah. Uh, but, but before we get to those, because the one new character we have not mentioned yet is, I think, a delight in a, an addition. You know, Mantis. She's wonderful. She's so sweet. And like her, just her childlike approach to the world, the way she speaks, just like a little, you know, little toddler almost. You know, she's like, she or speaks kind of like, I don't know, like probably like a six or seven year old. You know, she's just yeah. so excited. And then so sad. The audience, so sad. the audience was crushed for her when Drax was like, you are ugly. That is how you know I'm telling you the truth. Don't trust anyone who tells you you're beautiful. Uh. Just, the, just the way her antenna f- antennae fell whenever her feelings were hurt it was just oh it was overwhelmingly cute i'm very curious to see how the cosplay for mantis turns out how are they doing the eyes like what are people going to figure out for that i'm uh, very you curious can do contacts for that well but they're but they're huge though i, I was wondering if you're right. just going to put like a prosthetic over or something like i don't know we'll see yeah. how that all plays out but yeah she was just she was such a welcome change and she kind of took over the Drax role from the first film, right? Like the clueless character. He still kind of is. So they have great chemistry together, but he's a little more street savvy now. You know, it's almost like, look at all the stuff I've learned. I'm going to tell you about it. Right. It's, it's more or less the blind leading the blind at this point between those two. (laughs) Oh, but no, but I, I really liked her. And I thought, I love that she actually had a point, you know, at the end, she's her whole job for ego is to help him sleep because she can help people calm down by touching them. Yeah. And so at the end, she's able to like hold him off while they're trying to get everything done, at least for a little while, till she gets smashed with debris. And I love that they had to add a line with Drax Carriger. It's okay. She's just knocked out. You know, like yeah. she's not dead because that was a big hit she took. Yeah. You know? Can I say what my absolute most favorite comedic oh, please moment do. of the whole film? Because uh, it's a reference to my most favorite film of all time. So, uh,. <laughs> Yondu, well, I can guess it, it. I'm right on board with you. Y- y- this is yeah, Yondu is holding his arrow, and he's using it, because you know how it floats based right. on his whistling. He's holding his arrow, and he's floating around by the arrow, and Star Wars like, dude, you look like Mary Poppins. And he's like, who is this Mary Poppins dude? Is is he tough? Is he awesome? Something is he cool? Yeah. Is yeah. he cool? Yeah, he's like, yeah, yeah, he's cool. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! <laughs> I almost oh, died laughing. Killer. I, just, I mean, just the way laughter just cleanses your soul. It happened in yes. a moment for me. That is probably going to go down as one of the funniest moments, if not the funniest moment in cinema this year. I'm Mary Poppins, y'all! By <laughs> well, some intergalactic guy who so really doesn't know levels. who she is. Right. I mean, it came, it came off this really emotional moment mm-hmm. of because yeah. I did love Yondu in this film as well. Like, yeah, the so, whole reveal, like, Okay. Don't get me wrong. He was good in the first film, but so much better developed here. Yes. Right, so he was able layers. to get more personal mm-hmm. in this film. On how he personally intervened to stop Peter right. from becoming... Because he didn't know that Peter had any celestial in him. As far as he was concerned, Peter was going to have the same fate as all those other kids who he knew was going to die. And that moment, so poignant when he says, 
Ego was your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Yeah. And yeah. it was like almost on the nose, but not quite there, where he's basically saying, I was your daddy. But he didn't say that, and I thought right. it was perfect that way. Well, and especially also the the whole concept of, you know, throughout the whole first film, we heard it several times, you know, they wanted to eat you. They ain't never tasted Terran before. <laughs> and then at this one, he's like, you know, why do you think I told you that joke? You know, I was just joking yeah. around. You know, Peter's like, normal people don't do that. That's yeah. not appropriate. You know? It wasn't a joke to me. <laughs> Like I, I love they they referenced it and cleared uh, you know that up for them finally why he was saying that you know just was overwhelmed by how because Kurt Russell throughout most of his career he's mostly been a good guy at worst usually an antihero like Snake Bliskin right but man when he plays a villainous character I'd forgotten about this film he did about fifteen years ago called Dark Blue where he's a crooked cop during the L.A. Rodney oh. King riots. Hmm. And that's pretty much the only real flavor of villain that I'd ever seen hmm. him have, and he brought that back here only on a po- apocalyptic genocidal yeah. level. But, oh, man. Well, but I also like that he's so... It, it mm-hmm. is so... It's not like evil, malevolent villain. He's literally just like, I'm above all of this. Mm-hmm. Human beings, you know, flesh and blood creatures, all of that, it just doesn't matter. Everybody is a means to an end because I figured out my purpose. And I have to accomplish what I have to accomplish. So it's not like I'm evil and I just love, you know, messing with yeah. people. And I, it, it, he's yeah. like, literally, it's just like, you guys don't matter anymore. That, except that's kind of the scariest kind of evils me. when they don't even know they're evil, when oh, they're right. in that Magneto exactly. region of evil, you know? Uh, for me, it just hit me personally because I grew up watching old school Disney Channel. And a lot of people don't know this. Back in the 60s and 70s, Kurt Russell had a 10-year contract with Disney. He couldn't make movies. The computer for- wore tennis exactly. shoes and all yeah. that. All these yeah. goody-goody roles. And now here he is, like 40, 50 years later. He's back at Disney with Marvel, but it's still right. technically Disney. And he's playing this really creepy, dark role of this supposedly nice father figure who's really a genocidal maniac, intergalactically so. And I'm just like, you know? Now, I I am wondering if this is, like, the final sign-off for him or if they'll find a way to write him back in at some point down the road that some particle of his brain survived and he begins to grow again. Maybe. And well, well, this was my thought. I, I saw, because Ego the Living Planet, right, when they're going back and, the, you know, you see the face in the planet, right? It's right. a Kurt Russell face in the planet. I, I immediately that. thought of Dormammu from Doctor Strange and I was like, a team-up of, like, big head planet guys. Yeah, right. The villains in some film down the road, you know, or one of those Marvel short films they don't do anymore unfortunately yeah. like well okay so there's rumors that they may start doing more uh i guess youtube shorts oh okay. kind of like they did for agents of shield this year they did a series called slingshot it won a ton of awards and they're really only like three four minute long like they're pretty much one scene are these on youtube they are on youtube okay all right i need to go check those um out. i didn't know you can find them on hulu i heard and... of slingshot but i didn't know where it was right okay so they're out there they're kind of just different scenes that lead up to a, a brief story arc across a span of time. So it it doesn't have anything really that connects into the seasons. So you don't have to go back and watch the whole season to see where they play. But Of all the shorts, my favorite one is still Hail to the King because oh. it fixes the Mandarin mythology. That was great. Yeah, I love that one. Well, we hope now, they pay that off sometime. Yes. But bringing it bringing it back around here as we get to like the end of the film, we talk about how it, you know, how it played out. You know, for me, like I said, there were a lot of these touchy-feely 
character moments that they were stopping throughout in certain scenes. Okay, this person's going to say, you know, I believe in you and then break it with a joke, you know, or whatever. But all, all these different moments where you're supposed to start kind of seeing the characters as characters and not just aliens that make jokes. For me, it didn't really connect because I was kind of like, okay, you guys are kind of interrupting the flow of the film a lot for this stuff where it doesn't seem to fit until like the end after everything when Fleetwood Max the chain just like busts through like because they used it earlier in the film and they're kind of breaking apart and they're kind of disagreement and then at the end when it brings them back together that's like their theme their family theme like to me like that like got me really emotional like I was like wow that's awesome like plus it's always been one of my favorite Fleetwood Max songs you know Uh, but it's just like it was intense the way that they used again they they used a lot of music like they always do uh and i i didn't really care for the song selection in this film as much as the first one but that one in particular just been was absolutely spot on yeah so just briefly in music here i i felt it was a lot more mellow the music exactly. choice on this one is it did i miss it or did because they, they had fox on the run in the previews was it not featured in the film? I, I didn't hear it anywhere, so. no. Yeah. James Gunn did say they were using some different ones for the teasers than what would actually it. make it in the movie. That explains it. And we, we got to yeah. address the elephant in the room. There is a volume three mm-hmm. on a Microsoft Zune. It's got <laughs> 300 songs. I'm sure uh. they did this so that they could just kind of open it up and say, we're going to use whatever we want at this point for music. Yeah. <laughs> That's like... Get, seeing them get excited over the Zune was like seeing someone get excited over the HD DVD. You know, oh, it right. Just, it was funny but kind of sad at the same well, time. Well, I feel like we have to give props to the person who delivered the Zune, right? Mm-hmm. Correct. James Gunn's brother, Craglin. I am the on-set stand-in and motion capture for Rocket. Right. So he's the one who provided like the emotional weight for the actors in both films when Rocket's in the room, right? Because Bradley Cooper, you know, Vin, uh, Vin Diesel, they come in down the line, they do their thing, but they're not there. They're not really part of the team in a lot of ways, I bet, on set. You know, yeah. people just don't feel it. But Craglin was great in this movie. Obviously, he got a lot more screen time. You could say, oh, nepotism. He's the director's brother. But he's got such an interesting look. I think he gives great emotion. He's got a great characterization. He's created as Yondu's right-hand man, his loyal puppy, who betrays him at one point, you know, and then feels bad and helps Yondu escape, you know, like... All those things, like I just, I really enjoyed that character and that the fact that he's looks like he's going to continue with this crew now or something. You know, he's going to be around. I, I think he's a welcome face. He's not distracting in any way. He's, oh, what's this guy doing here? You know, it's like no, he's actually hilarious. Even he gets his own cutscene at the end, right? Or not cutscene, and credit scene. What, uh, what's your rating here, Colton? Uh, I'm leaning towards 8 out of 10, and I might be an unpopular opinion, but I think I kind of like this better than the first one. I laughed a lot more. Uh, The emotional payoffs really got me right here. Yeah, I I mean, I'll probably need to see it again to really cement that, but for now, I'm feeling like I enjoyed it better than the original, and 8 out of 10. All right, Adam. Well, you know, I have felt in my watching of the first film that it actually is right up there with the first Iron Man and Winter Soldier in terms of actually being a perfectly constructed film. That first mo- film just moves, 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 and it. but every scene matters, beautiful to watch. This one, I felt like as far as structure and the way it flowed did not work as well for me, but 
as Colton mentioned, the emotional impact of this film was wonderful. It really did connect with me. So I would probably give this film an eight. Like it's a film that I would go back and watch multiple times and feel that again. So very, very highly recommended. I'm sitting, uh, I'm probably in the eight, eight and a half range on my rating on this one. Just due to the fact that uh, I can't, put it exactly on par with some of the other films i mean they all have their faults sometimes you just give the credit where credit's due or where studios have built up enough credit that you can give them some slack here's looking at you dc you got to build up some credit to spend (laughs) it anyway but yeah it's it was good it had some twists and some turns and some payoffs that i wasn't expecting even though i almost seek out the spoilers beforehand just so that i know i can kind of formulate the game plan going in and i'm not so disappointed because i had this with iron man 3 where i went in and i heard they were doing the extremist storyline i loved the the little digital short that they did the motion comic whatever of that story and i was like dude this is gonna be a crazy twist and the way they did it just really irked me and so i was really low on it coming out of there i mean i even went back a second time and watched it uh watched it once it came out on on dvd and i'm like the second time it was better because i knew where things were going so i could say okay for what they're doing I'm okay with it. But as for where my an- anticipation was, I, I I couldn't go like that. And I think that's where DC's slacking too because they they keep everything under the vest and then they disappoint people. So Well, I feel like they don't know what they're doing until it literally gets into theaters <laughs> like with Suicide Squad. It's like we're re-editing this up to the minute, you know, and then we're going to put it out. So I feel like DC is still a mess. Although, speaking of, you know, we've got this sequel first sequel chat of the summer and now we're heading into it i think they have a good shot with wonder woman to start turning things around i don't think just league is going to do it but wonder woman looks like it could be the one where people say you know what finally a decent dc film so we'll see because that's going to be coming up next year and we will be discussing it next year that's next month yeah yeah it's june June it's next month so yeah yeah, i've been hearing really good things and it's going to be kind of on par with like captain america the first avenger like you can get away with a lot by doing a period piece setting things in the past you get away with a lot and justice league i i'm encouraged by what i'm seeing but i'm not on par with saying oh yeah that's totally going to outdo a marvel film because it's not yeah no i i'm discouraged by everything they've shown me on justice league i'm going to be going into that very skeptical so we'll we'll see what happens when it all comes i'll be like look at least gal gadot is in this film at least wonder woman can ground it on some level but i just feel like everybody else in that movie right now i'm just like "Mm, i do not like where this is going so again we'll we'll find out how they how they play their cards when when we get to that point but be here this summer folks because like i said we have a lot of, of movies coming out we got a lot of things to cover and make sure you head over to uh, sequelquestpod.com keep an eye out for the upcoming episodes that we have we have a lot of special guests coming up on sequel quest we're going to be getting into some interesting uh, genres some interesting uh, franchises that we haven't touched yet so uh, as well as some kind of special episodes where we mix stuff up so be there get excited and until next time Groot put your seatbelt on (laughs) 
We hope you enjoyed all the fun of today's show and invite you to check out our regularly scheduled podcast, Sequel Quest, where we imagine the next installments of your favorite movie franchises. Find Sequel Quest on iTunes, SoundCloud, or at sequelquestpod.com. Now, 